Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. My name's Ben. I'm a vicar in the Church of England. Shabba. And so there's, I am a servant of the Bishop and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, but I, I've been on Urban Estates for about just under 20 years in different contexts in Eden. And then now we've planted a church on an estate called Oldham's Estate in Bolton. So yeah, that's us. Spot on. Um, hi, I'm Esther, um, and I help lead a movement called the International Justice Mission, uh, which works around the world uh, fighting cases of modern slavery and human trafficking. Um, and I live in the northeast of England uh, in a city called Durham. Any from? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, northeast. Um, and uh, I am part of a church uh, there uh, in Durham City. We've just planted actually into an estate uh, just outside of Washington into a working men's club. So we're doing a church around the bar at the moment, which is good fun. I'm Sam Ward. I work here. I'm a nonconformist. Ser- I serve the king. <laughs> I was. I serve the king. <laughs> yeah, last time there's a nonconformist on the stage of the bishop, I was... Taking you in a trial, wasn't I? So anyway, uh, yeah, I'm Jill, and um, I'm the Bishop of Lancaster. Uh, my passion is for um, church planting, and a lot of my ministry has been on urban estates in Liverpool. And I'm from Bolton. <laughs> Great. So we have got a range of questions, helpfully submitted by you guys. So I will read out said questions, and then you can do that slightly uh, awkward moment of going, who's going to answer them, uh, if that's Okay. Uh, first ones first. Do you have any top tips for helping people with low literacy levels to grow in biblical literacy or understanding? Great question, isn't it? John. Enable John. I don't know. Is John Williams in the room? No. Okay, there we go. Uh, like with anything, when you have a panel, uh, we're guys who've been doing it a little while, but there's, there's, there's so much experience in the room, isn't there? So maybe just bear with us as we just share our experience, I guess. But um, for us, if you're in my seminar, we talked about just trying loads of different ways of enabling people to learn how to follow Jesus. And some of them will fall flat, and that's all right. Just stop it and do try something else. So I think that sometimes we sort of get stuck maybe with that in terms of how we disciple people. Let's just try everything. Let's lock and load and just try everything, yeah? Um, but we just try and I think there's just something about submerging people in discipleship. Like just, I remember when I was on Eden, a dealer on our estate came to us and said, you see our kids and our family for three hours a week. I see him 12 hours a day. You're, not, you're never going to touch that. And I think we can try and attempt to touch that. Let's just submerge people in what it means to be the church and, 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 and therefore learning what it means to follow Jesus in so many different ways. And different, when you're in that sort of environment, you look at other people and say, well, they learn in this way, so I can maybe try that. Or Does that make sense? Anyone else? Um, I'm passionate that people are equipped with the sword of the Spirit um, and not just in the heads but in the hearts. Um, that's what Jesus did. It takes down strongholds. Um, I also, um, maybe optimistically, but I think it's reasonable with international church planting movements, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit can help people learn to read who would not otherwise have been able to do it. So I think it's something about coaching people to say, actually, 
why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes as you read the Bible? And I, I've seen quite amazing stuff happen of just verses, you know, you, just people opening the Bible at the right page, the right verse. And as people realize this word has got power, um, it's like a hammer that breaks rocks to pieces and it's like a fire. So um, I notice um, through church history when the church has gone to sleep, it's because people haven't let everybody, ever, let normal people have the Bible in their hands. And I think there's almost a spiritual battle over our country about this. Ironically, it's the most... I mean, Bibles are so accessible, aren't they? They're on my phone. They're so easy to get. Um, in other countries, people... Are, you know, if you're in Central Asia, in some countries, you'll get arrested and thrown into prison if you have a Bible on your phone. We take it for granted. I'm trusting that the Spirit of God will raise up ways of people hearing him uh, through Scripture. Um, um, just a couple of things that I found really helpful. Um, it's going to sound silly, but um, actually giving somebody a physical Bible as a gift. Um, so it's a special thing for you with, uh, you know, with a note, with a card in it that we're going to read together. Um, and also um, the power of story. We all know it, don't we? Uh, the power of story is so uh, potent and, and tapping into asking the Lord, like, what story is going to connect with that person's heart? Are they a modern day Moses? Are they a Daniel? Are they an Esther? And actually, let's, what is that story that is, is going to help hook them in? And how do we do that together? Um, rather than like, I'm going to set you off. Off you go. Let me know how it goes. Um, and I found like tracking narratives as like an entry point um, really helpful. Great. There's also a fantastic range of audio Bibles. There's stuff on YouTube that you can listen to, like Bible meditations. Um, we write out passages of scripture in letters to people sometimes. If they're not going to read the Bible, they might read a letter from you. So there's all sorts of different ways that you can help people access the word if they're not great at reading. Um, and also verbal storytelling, as uh, Esther was saying in your, in your groups. Uh, next question. How do you balance safeguarding with friendship and being neighbors? Yep, uh, Jill's going to answer this one first. <laughs> I think uh, that is possibly one of the most frequent questions that gets asked of incarnational style ministry, where very much our home is is the place in which we minister most effectively. So there are, there are some, some key practicals that we would talk about. Uh, if you've got regular people coming in your house, if they're, of a, if they're vulnerable or young, then it's permission giving is really important. Uh, for a while, our team used to, uh, we all were given a notebook to hold by the front door. That would, I know it's weird, but it would note, that we could note dates and times and who would come in and when. Um, just so that there was a kind of a recorded evidence of, of uh, who was coming in your house. Uh, uh, but the questions that the, pers- the people who ask this type of question are not necessarily those who are dealing with a very easy and straightforward situations. It's often triggered by the complexities, isn't it? Those people who would overstep the boundaries, not understand safe spaces, or who, for cultural reasons... Um, uh, may intrude somewhat or, or do things in your house that are unacceptable. And there are a number of cases where, where houses... Um, I was visiting some, some youth workers the other day who had had something really bad happen in their house that they had no idea about, uh, which meant that they were informed by the police that they could never use the house again for this kind of work. And so I understand the severity and the, uh, and, and the, uh, the problems that are caused when we begin to open our homes. And so little things like we, we were trained um, 
about opening closed doors and whether it was safe to keep doors open, whether when you invited somebody in, you were close to, closest to the exit rather than uh, could be ever be trapped in. So some kind of practicals there. Uh, I'll hand over for someone to give greater wisdom. Bed yet, yes, guys. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? Like this, for us in the Church of England, we have safeguarding leads. And I think that's probably some advice that I'd give. Make sure you've got some professionals to hand from the day one. Someone you can go to in the Church of England. In each diocese, we have someone we can go to. We have to have that in each of our congregations. So I suggest you just have those lines of professionals that you can go to ASAP. But the bottom line is, if you're going to um, go down the line where you have to share something with someone that can, can be quite difficult... It, that's probably going to happen to you if you're on an estate. I've had to say some things, share some things with the authorities about people, and it's not been nice. So that means I've got to have some support behind me and some professional lines and stuff, and you've just got to get that in. It's, there's no excuses. Great. Thank you very much, guys. Um, next question. Any ideas how to reach and support dads? They're often unseen and disengaged with the community. Dads' baby group's quite cheesy. Any suggestions? I've got more theory than practice here, because um, I just think our church is quite, well, the Church of England is quite, fe is quite female, isn't it? Often our culture is quite female. I've got two boys, um, they love playing rugby, and, uh, well, my older one loves playing rugby, and um, I find such a disjunct between going to rugby on a Sunday morning and then going to church on a Sunday afternoon. And I would love to shift the culture of churches so that um, um, there's, a, there's almost like that sort of that aggression, that defensive adventure, that um, uh, kind of wildness, all those things are in the image of God, aren't they? The God, God is aggressive, he is wild. And um, I think often our churches just don't look like places that dads would like to um, come into. So I'm speaking more about men than dads, aren't I really? But um, yeah, surely the, needs, the spirit of God needs to be infinitely creative here. Um, I, I just think you've got to give men full stop. But I think particularly dads, you've got to give them something to do. Basically, I've I found like we've there's got to be things for, for them to do. Um, and, and another obvious one, I think we all know, John in our church, he's got a five-a-side team. Just get some sports stuff happening. We're in a we're in a five-a-side league in Bolton. With like for two seasons, we were the worst team by a mile. That's partly because I was playing for them, but then I left and things started to turn up. But it's about just creating some spaces for men to find solace, I guess. And I think also tapping into men's, I think this is a human thing, obviously, but a place where they can help do stuff for other people as well. We've found that. So our recovery group is a great space. In fact, it's mainly men in our recovery group at the moment, isn't it? Um, both sort of helping in different ways. And as Eden, we do have a couple of different things we can kind of point you in the direction of or help you to be resourced in. So uh, there's a conference, a men's conference called The Gathering, which happens in a field in... Someone remind me, Swindon, Swindon, uh, two days, it's, it's a blokey blokes kind of thing, you can tell that I have no idea what it actually is, um, but we can help resource your teams to get there, so if that's something you might be interested in taking a group along to, just as a kind of something totally different, there's also the XCC stuff that Paul was talking about, uh, that's, that's like taking guys out into the wilderness for four days, camping, walking, fishing, eating, 
surviving, I think, is mainly that thing. Again, there's, there's stuff you can take guys to uh, outside of the community, but inside of the community, uh, often it's about around the table, it's about on the sports field, uh, it's about going where people are and doing what they're already doing and kind of making friends there, I think is what I'm trying to say. Uh, great. Let's see, what else have we got? How do you deal with friction and tension within your team or leadership? Um, great. Um, I personally am someone that loves conflict because uh, doing conflict well brings life. And doing conflict with kindness is so releasing. Um, so something that I've been working with my team at work through, and I'm on this journey myself, is how do we um, how do we strike when the iron's cold, right? So how do we uh, nip things in the bud before it escalates uh, with kindness? And, um, and not to be afraid of conflict, but to have regular touch points of, of actual honest, kind uh, discussion. And I'm certain that as, as leaders, when you're seeing through the filter of, of kindness, you can say really hard things, you can have really hard discussions, but it's coming in love. And, um, and yeah, that's just something that um, we as a team have been working on, is how do we embrace conflict really well? My natural disposition, I say I love it, is to run a mile. But as I'm learning to, to, to work with healthy teams, I'm realizing that doing conflict um, brings life if it's done well with honesty and with kindness. Um, but to actually deliberately create spaces for that, whether it's a weekly, how are we all doing? No, how are we actually doing? Um, like rubs the corners of each other and, uh, and is really, really important. I think the nature of uh, our teams is that they live in close proximity to each other and their neighbourhoods. And, and so there is often times where there's, there's a, a, a disconnect in vision or, or purpose. Or um, We had a number of kind of conflicts early on where maybe there wasn't an appreciation of, of how well some people were serving or not serving. Um, we had one particular girl that liked to come in and then make herself a, a lovely meal and get ready for the evening and then give the, her best after she'd sorted herself out. And I remember being personally quite aggrieved by that. I'd come in from work, throw some clothes on and get out and about. And, and that kind of tension, I think I handled really badly because I, um, I, I disrespected what she needed in order, in order to feel like she was full of life and able to give. Uh, I think because I'm a bit more extroverted, I was like, I can, I can go and I'll be energized by being out, where she needs to fill herself up. But I think coming to terms with the different types of people on our teams, the fact that everybody isn't the same as me, and appreciating their, their, even their capacity and their, um, their competency on, on different things is going to differ. And finding value in what people have got to bring, rather than um, seeing it as a, something that is kind of against me. Um, I don't think I dealt with it well in that I, I kind of isolated rather than bring in, and I don't know if my wife can remember this, but we had an aw awkward night where the kind of couple came round to knock on the door to ask why I hated them. And uh, that's when you're getting team conflict wrong. Um, uh, uh, why do you hate us so much? Because you are hateful people. Um, I didn't say that. You know, so, so 
But they had to bring it to me, really, if I'd, if I'd, done, if I'd listened to Esther. <laughs> I had to fix this well early, because I'd, I'd have said, I actually struggle that you don't want to come out, and then they would have explained their heart a little bit more. I think I'm most quick to make judgment, quick to make assumptions about their, their, their commitment, rather than look to find value uh, and, and appreciate the difference that uh, different members of our team had. So I think finding value in others is important. You fall out of everyone, Ben. You must have something. <laughs> Jokes. Only joking, mate. Absolutely brutal. <laughs> I guess the world... <laughs> yeah, that was me that went around to his house, by the way. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, the world teaches us how to deal with conflict, often completely opposite to the way Christ teaches us, doesn't it? And so for all of us, whether we're from an estate and we love to fight, whether we're British and we love passive aggression whether we just like to fly away, we've all got it wrong. And Jesus is really clear on conflict. He's like, if, you, if, you've, got a, if you've got your gift and you're taking it to the altar, put it down and deal with the problem you've got with your, with your brother or sister, where the, the two of you are face-to-face, then if you need to bring a person in, then bring the person in. And, and we just try and do that in our church. And we've been through lots of tense times in the last two years. Um, but we've, we're learning and teaching each other that we've all got it wrong. And to be honest, the main one is just get in front of the person. Because face to face, it often disarms so much of the situation. And Jesus was right, wasn't he? Um, but it just takes time and you've got to hold your nerve often. Thanks, guys. Um, this one here says, uh, we're considering joining an Eden team. The answer is yes. And the, uh, <laughs> uh, the question is, how would you decide to join and what questions would you ask? We're deciding on what well, we're trying to decide whether to join Eden. How can we decide, and what questions can we ask? Uh, we could just agree now, <laughs> and then uh, we'll send you the paperwork available at the front. Uh, really important thing for me is um, uh, be confident in the decision that you're making because you will maybe experience some things that will put that to the test. Uh, I think. Uh, making quick decisions is not all the, always the best thing. When you're talking about long-haul uh, incarnational mission, it's important that you have something that you can root yourself in on the days of difficulty. Uh, I think often we um, come to actually events like this and we hear some great stories or we hear difficult things, but they're all the peaks, aren't they? And I think actually that the, the truth and the reality of, of, of long-term mission is there are many, many down days. There are many ordinary days. And actually, sometimes, it's even in those moments, knowing when you can't see anything good or, or even that it's just proper mundane and you're, real, you're thinking, I could have done this anywhere, or even that it's not even as scary as you thought it would be, all those kind of diff- disappointments, having something, and particularly the Word of God that you are rooted in, that continues to remind yourself of the purpose of why you do what you do, uh, for me, is really key. Questions I would ask would be, um, um, of, I would ask of yourself first and foremost, am I up for it for the long haul? Is this the next thing, the next season of my life? Um, who am I going to do it with? It's important that you, God will never call you on your own to this stuff. He always, I believe, call you in team or with others. So, um, um, so those would be, I don't want to give all, the, all my thoughts away. Anybody else want to say it doesn't have to just be about Eden. When considering urban mission or, or to, uh, following a calling, maybe either of my... Uh, well, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So if you're feeling a sense of calling, that's often because you're touching the heart of Jesus. And um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm praying that he will raise up so many more workers for across our country in the unlikely places. Um, so maybe you're the answer to my prayers. <laughs> what Jill said. Um, just to reiterate what Sam said, I think community is absolutely key. Um, there's a kind of old, like, I know it's a cliche, but if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And, um, and yeah, you, you can't be a Christian on your own, I don't think. I don't think it works like that. That's the first thing Jesus did um, when he arrived was to get a team of mates around him. And um, that might not be a, a quick thing. That might be actually the first step is committing to pray for the other people who are going to be part of the family. Um, but I think team and community, personally for me, has been, like, I wouldn't, yeah, that, that is my, my number one thing of, of, of this stuff. There was also a second part to that question, which said, what advice would you give us in terms of our hearts and our attitudes uh, to the Eden way of doing life? <laughs> Learn to pray. So there's no excuse, like, if, learn to pray, because number one, it's not about you, it's about the Lord Jesus and his ministry and what he's been doing on that estate for many years before you came and before you, after you leave, before we've been there, and prayer is the way we access the Lord's ministry, what he's already doing there, so um, I, I, suggest, I say to people, you should be, we should have those mad, radical missionary mindsets when it comes to prayer, those people who pray for hours and we just have that British guilt thing and then do nothing about it, it's like, well... All right, maybe not praying for four hours a day, but at least give it some more than what we do. And, and by the way, this is me talking to myself as well, but learn to pray. Uh, yeah, I'm picking up on something that Ben talked about, uh, which has totally left my mind while I began to talk. Um, what was that first bit that you said? It was really good. The second bit wasn't so good. Before that, before the learn to pray bit. The second bit I said. No, no, Ben. ben. No. Just read the question again. Well, give me a time to I'll, think. I'll just put it back in the box. Well, it was uh, oh, the no. cultures and attitudes. Yeah, oh, I think, hearts I think and attitudes. Primarily, oh, that was it. You talked about God was there before you, will be there after you. I think recognising that you're not the answer is key. Uh, I think a willingness and a desire to work at the mission of God with God and his people but you are not the answer. We, I think, if I was reading again some of the um, stuff that Matt Wilson wrote in the first Eden book and about the kind of run, uh, revival mentality that early Eden teams had where we, we were like, we jumped from the plane uh, with our parachutes on into communities. Revival would flow very quickly after six months. If it wasn't fixed, something had failed. And I think we... We, we learn the hard way. And I suppose now I would be communicating, you're not the answer. Uh, you're, you're working with God. He's already there. He'll do it after you. And he wants you to play a, your part. But uh, get away from the kind of, I'll fix it mode. I've got the answer thing. Great. Uh, another question about working in teams. Uh, we want to move forward, uh, but there's people within our group that take a lot of energy and resources. How do you balance that with doing mission? So how do we balance caring for people in our groups alongside outward focus mission? I think it, it kind of harks back to what I said earlier, which is, firstly, not all teams are made up of the same kind of person an urban missionary doesn't have a, like a, a personality typeset and actually we need diverse teams made up of very different kinds of people I think the early Eden teams were made up of uh, virtually all relocators so people from Brighton move into Manchester 
and actually finding now our, our most successful teams and our healthiest teams are made up of the three R's, the relocator, the remainer, and the returner, those teams that are, have got the indigenous guys. Um, and they provide an, a, a different form uh, and value to a team, but actually need to be cared for in a slightly different way than someone who um, is coming from elsewhere. How we recruit people into teams, now we resource different types of people in our teams are key. Uh, and, and I suppose I would say off the back of this question, which is everybody needs to be in a culture of discipleship. It isn't just that we go in as teams to disciple our neighborhoods, but actually we need a culture of discipleship within our teams. And that is therefore going to be individual and bespoke for every member of the team, but is also going to be in the context of community, that we need to be all uh, expressing our vulnerability and being shaped and being taught by one another. Uh, and some people are going to require more. Some people will have faced trauma throughout their lives and now at a point where God is beginning to help them serve. But even as they begin to serve those who are maybe from a difficult place, you'll find a whole load of things that you thought you'd dealt with suddenly creep up and bite you on the bottom. And I think uh, having a culture where we can be very open and honest about the things that we're struggling with, the, even our, uh, the grief. I was talking to someone earlier about, actually, we need a culture where we can lament sometimes as a team, not, um, and some of that being personal, but you know, some of the failures that I've done and experienced, some of the things I've made a mess of, a place where that's safe to lament together. And then as a team sometimes, when we face very, very difficult things, we had a, one particular night early on where our team was chased across a field by a gang of men, and uh, we went back to our hall and began to lament, really, which kicked off this kind of half-night of prayer where God ministered to us. And, and, and a lot of the scriptures that were birthed as the prophetic words over our team came out of a place of real difficulty and fear. But as we began to have an environment where we could share our weaknesses and our vulnerabilities and our fears about the neighborhood and the consequences of this difficult night was where God began to speak what for us was Isaiah 62 about a new name and a, and a chosen place and a place that would no longer be forsaken and all that stuff. Uh, but I think what I'm saying is uh, a culture of discipleship where vulnerability and honesty about successes and failures can be shared. I've got a slightly similar question, which I'll just throw in, uh, which is about how do you find the right balance serving and resting, pouring out and being refilled? Do you want to take that one, Esther? Yeah, great. Um, I mean, Jesus gives us a great model, doesn't he, of, of retreat. Um, and rest and Sabbath, as well as being fully present um, to the communities in which he's, he's um, walking around. And um, I love the way um, Brian Heasley from 24-7 Prayer puts it. He talks about whether you're in breakthrough. Uh, so Matthew 1, people knocking at the door, um, breakthrough, and Jesus goes up a hill and prays. Or whether you are busy feeding the 5,000, uh, they've just fed so many people. And he goes across in a boat to, like, to pray. Or whether you're in crisis, Garden of Gethsemane, um, he goes and prays. Whether you are in breakthrough, busyness, or crisis, the call is to go back to the Father in prayer. And I'd, I'd really encourage you to, to consider what are the rhythms of prayer um, that you are setting um, daily, uh, weekly, monthly, and annually. Whether that is um, hours of prayer daily, um, weekly, Sabbath, uh, you know, monthly retreats, yearly going away, 
what are those rhythms um, that you can come back to? Because if you can set yourself a rhythm, then when it's all going Pete Tong, when you are in crisis, you've got something in the diary, you've got something to come back to, you've got something that is like your solid resting place that you can return to. And, um, and yeah, make, it, make an appointment in the diary with Jesus and don't miss it. Uh, when I moved up from Oxford to uh, and stayed in Liverpool, asked um, someone a tip. What, what was your top tip for this? And she said, buy a caravan. <laughs> and um, so we bought. A, we did actually buy caravans. For me, Sabbath is really important. It is a Ten Commandments, and we don't play too fast and loose with the other ones, do we? Normally. <laughs> um, so just watch that. Watch you know, twenty four hours is so important because I think that's saying I'm not God. Um, I'm leaving the work now, and um, uh, you, you may notice your stress levels. As you get stressed, it's interesting that... Not- oh, can I just hand that to you? <laughs> um, this, is a, this is some Jes- a, a book called Finding the Still Point by Jesuit. And as you um, get... As he, he, pointed, he, he pointed out that it's, it's often if you get more stressed, you can either go up the scale and think, I am God, and you do more and more and more things because you're more and more God, and that's probably how I... If I'm stressed, I go up the scale... If you're, um, other people, when they get stressed, they move down a scale and think, gosh, I'm worthless. I can't even do anything. Oh, no. You know, notice, do you get depressed when you're stressed or do you get hyper? And the thinking is actually, if you're going up the scale and you're getting more and more hyper, just do one thing. What is the one thing you absolutely need to do today? Um, Because you are not God. Equally, if if you're in danger of being, I'm worthless, that's not true. You're a child of God. What's the one thing you can do? So just watch your energy levels. This is a massive challenge, isn't it? It's really important, this one. And I think if you're feeling guilty about rest, you should be convicted about that guilt because guilt, firstly, is, is, doesn't exist for those who are in Christ. It's only conviction and, and it's a command of Christ to rest. So you should be feeling convicted if you're not resting. But let's not try and get rest from off the shelf. Let's learn who we are and rest. Rest is leisure. It's leisure with Jesus, isn't it? And it's... And actually, if your diary is too full, then maybe you need to learn to pray a bit more as an act of rebellion against your busyness. That's what I've found in my life, that I've had to up my prayer time in my diary when I know there's far too much for me to do. Then I need to say, screw you, busyness. I'm going to pray as an act of rebellion against it. We can only do what we can only do. That is literally true. Brilliant. Thank you so much, guys. And we have come to the end of the time. We did have one other fantastic question, which was, what brought you to Jesus, and could you tell me a bit more about him? And uh, I think I'd love to answer that question face-to-face, and I'm sure any of these guys would. So if that was your question, come and find us in the coffee break, because we'd love to chat to you a little bit more about Jesus and who he is and what he's done for each of us. So could you give our panel a big hand? Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 